Welcome to PSQH the Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. In this episode, I talked to Dr. Nancy Moreau and Dr. Natalie Kittisarapong about how to improve patient safety for ultrasound-guided IV insertions. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Dr. Nancy Moreau, CEO of PIC Excellence, and Dr. Nat Kittisarapong, uh, emergency medicine physician at Kaiser Permanente Fontana and Ontario Medical Centers in California. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Jay. Thank Pleasure you to be here. Um, and we're going to talk today about um, using ultrasound uh, guidance to facilitate uh, placement of peripheral IV catheters. And I guess um, before we get started, I guess uh, I just want to have you kind of uh, each tell me a little bit about yourself. So, um, Nancy, if you could just sort of Tell me a little bit about what you do, and um, and uh, we'll we'll go on to Nat from there. Well, Jay, I'm primarily an educator. I work with online education specific to vascular access devices for training. I'm also quite active in research, um, working with different hospitals and manufacturers to um, perform trials and and studies. Um, have published a fair amount myself. I've been a vascular access specialist and a clinician for over 35 years. I actively insert and work currently in home infusion uh, with patients in their home and um, am certified in a few different areas and, uh, and simply um, provide resource on vascular access. All right, great. Uh, and Nat, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm an emergency medicine physician um, in California, but I was a fellowship trained in ultrasound um, at uh, North Shore, now called Northwell um, Hospital in New York, um, because um, after my emergency medicine uh, residency, I, um, during the time, had developed a lot of interest in um, ultrasound. Um, currently, um, with the hospital that I work with in California, Kaiser Permanente in um, Fontana, Ontario, um, I'm their um, uh, ultrasound liaison or director. Um, I'm developing like uh, educational um, programs for the uh, physicians there. And I also am working with the KP School of Medicine um, to precept for students and hopefully also um, teach them ultrasound as well um, as soon as um, they come into um, work with us at our ER. So. Great. Well, I guess um, let's start off with, um, could you guys explain, you know, sort of the problem to us and sort of and what your uh, recommendations are? Um, Nancy, why don't you start off? I guess. I guess one of the reasons that we came and became involved with this um, is because I work in an, in a number of hospitals and watch insertions, work in different departments and provide training and saw a lot of variability in practices. Um, because of that, I wanted to get some quantitative information about what different clinicians were doing. And so I put together a survey a couple of years ago and published uh, specifically a survey of ultrasound guided peripheral intravenous practices with supply usage and variability. And based on some of the survey results, saw a huge um, a bit of difference between insertions, the devices they were using, the, the protection they were using for their transducer probes, the gel, um, sterile, non-sterile, just a lot of variability that gave me some concerns about patient safety. 
Okay. And, uh, and Nat, did you want to follow up with anything on that one? Yeah, um, from myself, um, through the years in residency, fellowship, and now attending um, time, I've, I've also seen what Nancy um, had um, spoken about. There is a lot of variability, um, not just between hospital systems, but also between um, providers, um, whether they're providers such as myself, um, ER physicians, or um, because now a lot there's a lot of like nursing staff that also are trained in ultrasound-guided peripheral IVs. Um, there's a lot of variability in not just the technique that they use, whether it's the views on the ultrasound, but also in the equipment that they use. Um, I've seen people use uh, Tegaderm. Um, that was how I was trained initially because um, in the last couple of years, I've seen newer items that now are used to help protect the probe um, beyond probe covers. But before then, you know, a lot of us were using gloves or um, Tegaderms to help um, protect the probes and to try to help maintain uh, sterile technique. Um, and reduce infection. But I've also seen um, a lot of providers not use the um, Tegaderm or probe cover or glove at all. Um, so there's a lot of variability. And I think that um, getting your staff and getting your providers to have a certain methodology and um, certain practice in inserting peripheral guided IVs is important because it plays a huge role in not just success of the IV, but patient safety um, and prevention of infection. So. Okay. Um, and Nancy, you'd mentioned uh, that you did a survey. I was wondering if you could go over the results a little bit uh, about of what you found. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the survey confirmed that ultrasound guided procedures are really common, that uh, there's a lot of insertions being done both by people that are just learning, clinicians that are learning, and those are who are have become proficient with the procedure. And so some of them, as many as five to 20 a day. So with that high frequency, we also showed that um, the use of sterile gel or single use gel was only about half of those clinicians. And about 22% of them said, that they use different things at different times. So sometimes they'd use single-use packets, sometimes they'd use sterile, and then sometimes they'd use a variety of other things. We also saw that um, there was inadequate gel removal at the conclusion of their insertion procedure, that gel in and of itself could cause some problems. And especially with dressing adherence at the end, which allowed the catheter to fall out more often. Um, we saw issues related to the transducer probe protection, like Nat was talking about, um, uh, a lot of variability with um, the use of IV start kits, about 50-50, sometimes they used them, sometimes they didn't. Um, with the, the sterile probe covers, uh, some used the transparent dressing, the Tegaderm, like Nat was talking about, some of them used full sterile covers. Um, some of them had naked probes, which is really scary. So, um, and then disinfection practices varied as well. Um, we got quite a bit of information, you know, that just really led to some concerns about aseptic technique and about how it was done. It seemed like supply usage based on the survey 
really just depended on what was available. You know, they, they used what was at hand. And then we later did another survey, a follow-up during COVID to see if aseptic technique had been affected. And what we saw was that it, it seemed like most of them had the supplies that they needed, even with variability. Um, but they had a lot of, of comments about their experiences and their concerns. And um, we, uh, we were really surprised by more than 600 comments in that follow-up that talked about some of their experiences with COVID and safety concerns. Like, uh, could you sort of drill down a little bit on the experiences? Is it just, is it COVID obviously has made things more difficult to, to do that, do that procedure? Or? Yeah, so what happened was, especially for ultrasound guided PIVs, their frequency of insertion increased. Um, they had a lot more needs and of course, a lot more concerns with contamination and protection. Um, you know, they, they wanted to make sure that they fully disinfected before and after uh, the insertion procedures um, and you know that they had the ability to um, provide those services to patients they were having to be more selective about who um, uh, actually received the services and who didn't um, uh, some of the places said that, um, you know, that they had formal training with the ultrasound guided PIV insertions and, and some of them said that they didn't. Some of them had policies and some of them didn't and they were concerned with, um, you know, those kind of things. Um, some of the specific uh, comments were that they had a lack of supply and staff management support that they were working under pressure, a quantity versus quality, which of course leads us to patient safety concerns. But then other ones said that they always practice good, good probe hygiene, that um, they disinfect the same and that many of the practices were just continued, that they had good practices before. Um, some of them said that they used um, things like the ultra drape, the separation dressing uh, as part of their start kit in order to protect the probe and keep the gel off the skin, which made their procedure faster. Um, some of them said that they currently use probe covers and other ones said that they ran out of probe covers and didn't have them available to protect the probes. So just um, a lot of different kinds of responses in the, the over 600 um, who included, you know, their information. Uh, do you see one issue being sort of, uh, you know, I guess a lack of standard training? It sounds like it's kind of all over the map training and education. Definitely a lack of standardization. I mean, Nat and I were talking a little bit earlier about um, the need for better guidelines and consistency within the policies. Um, we have a number of different organizations who have commented on uh, best practices and what they need to do, but in reality, we have very little research in this area that, that guides us. Some associations are pushing for a strict sterile technique, which Personally, I think is impossible when you're dealing with skin and a peripheral insertion. 
So um, aseptic non-touch technique, which is a, a, a growing training method, uh, just make sure that you're touching the right things at the right time and you're able to maintain that clean technique with the insertion, which makes it really more cost-effective also. To do a strict sterile technique is very costly and to do high-level disinfection and other things I think when you apply that to ultrasound guided peripheral catheter insertions, it's not realistic for hospitals to do all of that. What do you think, Nat? I agree. Um, I think that, um, at least from my experience, every hospital um, that I've worked at um, has, uh, they may have a policy, some don't. Um, and so, like for my own shop right now, um, I'm trying to help develop the policy um, for the ER and um, for other areas as well, um, you know, and with regards to sterile technique, um, you know, especially during COVID, um, when the supply chain varied, um, considering um, uh, probe covers and tegaderms and things like that, um, it did become difficult. Um, some weeks um, we had less supplies um, than others, and you know. Uh, the idea is you want to maintain as much clean, aseptic, sterile um, technique as you can, but um, every shop is different, their budgets are different, um, and so it can be uh, an issue with cost. Um, that's why at my shop I had looked into different uh, types of barriers. Um, Ultra Drape I looked into um, from uh, Nancy's company. I also um, looked at um, a viral barrier um, that was like a little sticker very similar to um, the uh, tegaderm that I used um, and it was smaller and all the different costs that were associated with that um, and the, the what Nancy was talking about during COVID um, that I'm sure some of the providers were talking about about disinfection with COVID it wasn't just disinfecting the probe itself it was actually you have to disinfect the entire machine because now you can when it's most of the time we don't have portable ultrasound systems we're using a cart system so now the, the the issue became you have to wheel this giant thing in and disinfect the entire thing before you can move it into another patient's uh, room um and so because it could be a contamination risk right, right. So all of those things played a big role in um patient safety um and decisions about you know um, well, do we do a central line for this person since it's been this many attempts, or do we do a peripheral IV? Um, what if the IV blows? Then you know what uh, or uh, becomes ineffective? Then um, you know now we have to do a central line. So you know it's it was the idea of like what was best for the patient um, during like the pandemics. Well, now that we're you know a year plus into the pandemic, have things leveled off for you uh, in terms of, you know, some of those things you were seeing? Yeah, I think that for um, our shop, like, um, you know, uh, basically we took away, we used to have like bottles of gel um, and we transitioned to just packets so that, you know, you're not now disinfecting the bottles of gel on top of like the cart system, things like that. Um, for me personally, doing peripheral guided IVs, um, I was always advocating use, uh, using small packets of sterile gel. Um, and at the time, uh, because we didn't have uh, 
if we didn't have the probe covers um, using uh, Tegaderm, I, I definitely don't advocate um, using a naked probe at all. And then um, when we transitioned into um, the other uh, types of barrier systems, um, I was working with the suppliers to try to get that and also to train my colleagues in trying to use those as well. So it's a work in progress at this point, um, but it's a lot less chaotic than it was. Well, that's good. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, ultrasound devices and sort of why you think that uh, would work well for this. Uh, With regards to um, the types of devices out there? Well, um, just, even just sort of, you know, um, yeah, I guess the types and sort of, you know, um, you know, how it, how it sort of makes it a, you know, more efficient procedure. We have a lot of difficult access patients these days. Um, we see that increasing. You know, patients are sick, and the ones that are in acute care are sicker these days than they were 10 or 20 years ago. And so at, at times we see 40 or 50% of patients are difficult to access. And while the, the normal nurse or physician could walk in and put in a peripheral line years ago, it, it, there are fewer veins to choose from. Uh, almost all of our medications are given intravenously, and so it's the standard of care now to have intravenous access. We're using ultrasound now in, in order to provide service. Uh, ultrasound gives us the ability to see the deeper veins, to see inside the arm, to, to really look and assess, to choose the best location and, and to be able to put in the best catheter that'll last for the length of therapy. At least that's our goal. And so ultrasound just facilitates all that where we wouldn't have been able to do it before or the patient would have to get a line placed in the jugular, internal or external jugular, or other places that could be faster and easier to access, but not necessarily safer or more comfortable. Right. It used to be, you know, you feel um, for the vein, but now with ultrasound, not only can you see how deep a vein is, but also, you know, everybody's anatomy is different. The vein can be large and then it can go small or small can go large. And so um, you get an idea with um, visualizing with using an ultrasound, is this going to be a good vein to even try? Because, I mean, think of yourself as a patient who wants to get poked like a billion times. Mm. Um, and the other thing is like um, the technology with ultrasound has evolved a lot. I mean, we have now um, portable ultrasound systems that can connect to your phone, your tablet, or they're um, smaller than the giant cart systems that um, most of us are using. And with that, um, you know, the, the use of the smaller probes um, gives you a chance to maneuver around the room more, get your equipment set up better, um, and also, like, able, you, it gives you a chance to be able to, like, clean um, more effectively and hopefully be in and out um, quicker um, in a situation where you need to put in a peripheral IV. Um, it, I used it, to dream about it. You know, I used to do pediatric patients years ago, and uh, oh, we really struggled to put a line in um, the first time. And I used to dream about having X-ray vision inside the arms, and now we have it. That's and nice. that's one of the reasons that I'm an instructor for IVs and for ultrasound is because of you know that that need years ago. 
Um, are there other features that you prefer, um, you know, especially given, you know, what's going on with COVID uh, that can help with guidance, you know, guidance and success? I guess just being able to do it quickly and efficiently. You know, uh, we want to be able to see the vein really well with an ultrasound that has clear resolution and the ability to follow a needle into the vein. Um, but but we also don't want to take a whole lot of time wrapping everything up. Um, you know, the the supplies and equipment can be costly. And so being efficient with um, the covers and things that we use is really important and part of the research that I do. Um, you know, I work with um, different companies in order to try and fine tune supplies and equipment so that it works better for clinicians. And, um, you know, efficiency is everything. Agreed. From the clinician standpoint, um, I think that half the time um, from setup to cleanup, you're just trying to find all the stuff and, you know, put it in a bag or put it in like a little like kit for yourself. And then after that, it's just um, trying to put in the IV itself. So um, now with a lot of pre-packaged um, sets, it is a lot easier and helps with aseptic technique. Um, and on top of that, having a variability of um, ultrasound machines, um, because some machines are better with visualization of the needle than others. Um, mm -hmm. And they have um, needle finders and um, uh, other applications that within their um, programming that really can help with um, ultrasound um, insertion. So it's it's actually been a very interesting um, development over the last like decade, at least you know through my training from beginning to end, seeing the evolution of technology and just now what we can use to do such a procedure. So. Um. How widespread is this technology? Does every hospital have it now, or is it still kind of, you know, rolling out in, in phases? It used to be that hospitals didn't have availability. I, I think I can confidently say that pretty much every hospital in the United States has at least one ultrasound unit available. Physicians are now being consistently trained on ultrasound in medical schools and in their residency. That is what Nat already talked about. Um, so ultrasound is becoming more available. A hospital I just trained uh, last week with ultrasound, um, they had about three ultrasound units available. Small hospital, about 100 beds. Um, and so they were constantly vying over who gets them because there are so many inserters now. So even though they have them available, there's not necessarily enough um, to cover every unit and every clinician who wants to use them. Yeah, for us, it is a standard of care to use ultrasound for procedures. Um, and, you know, the education has now reached beyond residency into medical schools. Um, you know, some medical schools are actually having um, students buy portable units or they, or they for their classes, have these uh, portable units or card systems for them to work with and to train on. So it's, um, for us in the ER, um, definitely it's um, part of the standard of care to use ultrasound for um, different procedures. Um, is there any indication of sort of what's coming down the road in terms of technology? Obviously, like it seems every couple of years, 
you know, we have these incredible advances. I mean, I know you mentioned already that, um, you know, they're getting, it's getting smaller and more portable and easier to maneuver around the room. Uh, is there anything else sort of, you know, in the pipeline or that you hope for, uh, you know, five, 10 years down the road? Yes, some of the uh, recommendations that have come out of COVID are, are leaning towards wireless probes so that they can be disinfected well. We also have some new units that are showing two views with the biplane uh, that allows you to see both transverse and longitudinal at the same time, which uh, certainly uh, makes it easier to follow the needle in some ways. Um, what would you wish for, Nat? I personally, um, with the ultrasound units that are coming out portable, um, my goal is just for um, you know, just as good and crisp of a visualization as you would see on the CART system. I think that you know, especially with regards to patient safety, your goal is to minimize the number of attempts um, at doing an ultra, uh, at doing an ultrasound guided IV because they've already had a nurse, you know, try like at least twice. So nobody wants to be a pin cushion, and the idea is that you know you um, want to see just as good of a view. It's it's different. On a portable unit because the amount of energy and uh, that goes into um, creating um, a, a actual uh, picture um, you know you're limited um, because it's not connected to an outlet you know at this point if it's wireless you're at the mercy of the um, hospital systems uh, a wireless like network sometimes okay. um sometimes like the views go in and out sometimes like you know the units like get drained very easily um and with the plug-in units that go into your phone or your tablet same idea the image quality um is the way that it's generated um depending on um how it's created is also going to be utilizing the energy from your tablet or your phone so I think that you know they do have a little bit to work on with regards to um, image quality um, for that. Great. Um, what do you think are, are the best methods to reduce risk to patients while also facilitating success for clinicians with these insertions? Education, education, education. We've, we've got to standardize the procedure. We've, we've got to even study so that clinicians know what the best um, supplies and methods and techniques are. Um, you know, getting together possibly a, a national group or, or others to, to try and establish some consistency and uh, reduce the variability because it's profound. Um, you know, I, I've seen I've walked into units and seen on the cart of the ultrasound um, a tube of um, uh, jelly uh, that is used for different types of urinary catheter procedures. I mean, those kind of things just create a lot of concern. And so, you know, having some standardized procedures um, requiring education and, and potentially even um, having a, um, a a certificate level or a, a a level of competency that inserters need to achieve at a certain percentage, I think would protect patients from being those pin cushions. 
also reiteration. Um, you know, certification programs are great. Um, education is great until a couple months pass by and bad habits settle in <laughs> and things you learned initially you forget. And so, you know, um, ASAP has um, the guidelines, you know, for different procedures um, to have uh, for us that we do in the ER world that, you know, you should be doing uh, at least 25 of these to be proficient. But right. I think also at the same time, you want to make sure that you consistently do more and um, retrain and actually re-examine each provider that has already passed that level. Mm -hmm the initial level for, for the initial certification because the reality is if you don't use it you'll lose it and um, I think that is what I found has been an issue too um, with a lot of providers is um, you you think you know everything about it and you do um, when you first learn it and then things start to uh, get a little bit um, uh, away from you when you don't um, keep doing it well, you've got to have updates. You know, things are changing. This is a very dynamic area of practice, and uh, with the ultrasound units changing, with the methods, you know, with the the guidelines and, and recommendations, the Infusion Nurses Society standards of practice just came out a couple months ago, and so provided some, some more guidance, although um, we still need some more substantial guidance on standardization of, of the ultrasound guided PIV procedure. But Nat also talked about central line insertion procedures, which are standardized in terms of maximum sterile barriers in the central line bundle and, and now has become basically the standard of practice to use ultrasound for central line insertions. But now we need to move more into the ultrasound guided PIV realm where we um, establish kind of some standardized education and consistency. I've worked with the World Congress of Vascular Access on establishing minimal requirements for education on central venous catheter in a task force, and that was published. And now I think we need some more information along those same lines about what the expectation is for inserters with these types of devices. Yeah, it sounds it like would be great to have that policy, you know, beyond just individual hospitals. Um, you know, because each hospital system has their own policies and to standardize it across like the nation, uh, uh, that would be great, mm -hmm. um, you know, to start rather than per um, hospital, per state, things like that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot to keep up with. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> um, well, Nancy and Nat, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure thank talking you with you, Jay, about this important subject. Yes, thank you. And that wraps up episode 27 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe. <laughs>